June 21st, 2023. We're in Masechet Beta and at the very top at the Mishnah. Mishnah, for all intents and purposes, continues the last Mishnah, but uh, in a different direction. The last Mishnah talked about three different cases where Rabbi Al-Azab ben Azariah was lenient in face of the mainstream Hakamim opinion on particular matters. One of them was Rehaim Shel Palpalin. It was in a mill for pepper. Now, this Mishnah will have nothing to do with regards to using it on Shabbat or Yom Tov, as that Mishnah was referring to. Instead, it's going to talk about with regards to Tuma'an Tahara, matters that we don't often think about in today's day and age, less relevant to us. But once upon a time, the susceptibility, the ability for a uh, instrument, an item, to accept Tuma'ah was very significant. You wanted to know what the status of the item was. Number one, with regards to once the Tum'ah does touch it, something that's ritually impure, well, how do you then purify yourself? But even before that, is this item susceptible to accepting that Tum'ah? Not everything will accept Tum'ah. Uh, you'll have some items, some utensils, which even if they touch a matter, an item, which is seemingly Tameh, ritually impure, they in turn don't become Tameh. And the classic example is what the Torah seems to describe somewhat clearly, and that is in a circumstance where you have a fresh fruit. Fresh fruit, for example, don't accept Tumah unless water has already gone over them. The Torah describes how water needs to go on, and only then are they what's the words in Hebrew we, we use are mekabil Tumah. As a result, this Mishnah will talk about this utensil, this mill for peppers, um, and its status with regards to Tumah. There are many details that will arise. We'll try to simplify them as much as necessary. It's just a few lines of Mishnah. And then Gemara says, So what the Mishnah already makes clear for us is, <coughs> this rehaim, this mill for pepper, has three possible angles with regards to it becoming tameh. What does that mean? Well, it says, shelosha kelim. There are three separate, even though it looks like one <coughs> instrument, one item with which you'll mill, you'll uh, crush the uh, peppers, they're really within it, <coughs> um, halachically speaking, three separate portions. Uh, what does that mean? Well, if you were to, I don't know if the arts will give you a picture, but it would be best if there's a picture for this. If you were to break down this instrument, much like many others, and the Gemara will do so for us, um, you'll notice there are three separate parts to it. The Mishnah and the Gemara in turn will break them down for who cares about that. Well, says Rashi, uh, if you take a look at the left-hand side, Mekabelet Tum'ah al shem shelosha kelim. All right, so that much we understood. It accepts. It's susceptible to Tum'ah because of three separate utensils. Nafkamina, what's the difference? What, uh, what's the practical ramification? Ultimately speaking, if it's mekabil tumah, it's mekabil tumah. I don't care if it's three ways or one way or ten ways. Di'iname azil had. Let's say someone's tinkering with this utensil, with this mill, and one of the pieces comes off. One of them is detached. Di'iname azil had shemamina. It's still going to be tameh because of the other or others. The Gemara will get into further detail. In other words, to give you a, no tinkering with this, but partial keli won't be. But over here, it's three separate keli. 
Let me say it better. Let's say there's a novelty, there's a new invention, and the way that we make pepper mills is different than we used to. You might say, well, it's not mikabel tumah. Well, if it has any of one of those three uh, features, it's still going to become uh, tameh because of that feature. All right, so that's what we're going to deal with here in the Gemara. It says the Gemara tana, tana generally speaking is citing a beraita, tahtona, the lowest and the bottom of these. Again, you have to imagine it or see it as three separate utensils, one encased within the other, one on top of the other. So the bottom one, mishum keli kibul. Thank you. It's going to be mekabel tumah mishum keli kibul. That's a very important word when it comes to tumah and tahara. Something that has a keli kibul. Kibul, for the best English translation, probably is receptacle. Um, When it comes to items that are made out of wood, in contrast to items that are made out of metal. We call it a peshute keli et. If it's an item made out of wood, but it isn't, it doesn't have a receptacle area. In other words, it's flat in the respect that it won't be receiving and holding anything in it. It's not mekabel tumah. That's the halakha. It's only mekabel tumah when it's made of wood if it has what's called the keli kibul. It has a way of receiving something within it. That gives it the status of keli. That may, means it's a utensil and a vessel for, for the reasons of tuman tahara. Well, that being the case, if this item, which it is, is made out of wood, it has to be a keli kibul, otherwise it's not going to be mekabel tumah. The bottom of this mill, as we're understanding it, so there's one placed on top of another, on top of another, the bottom is where whatever is being uh, turned around and crushed is going to be collected. That's where you're going to have your pepper pieces at the bottom. That's keli kibul. That bottom part is certainly susceptible to tum'ah, and the reason it's susceptible to tum'ah is because it's a keli kibul. Even though it's a kid, it's made out of it, it's made out of wood. So that's the first statement here in the Beraita. So the Beraita explains, in terms of these three separate parts and portions of the, uh, of the rehaim shel pilpelin, tana tahtona mishum keli kibul. Emsa'it. What about the middle section? The middle section we're imagining doesn't have a kaliki boom. After all, you're funneling through this utensil until it hits the bottom, the pieces or the clumps of, of, of pepper. Uh, why would the middle part be a keli, a utensil, a vessel with regards to tuman tahara? Mishum keli kivara. Uh, says the Gemara, says the Beraita, it's because it's like a keli kivara. Kivara probably is translated as a sieve. What does that change anything? If it's made out of wood, we said a mo- moment ago, if it's not going to receive anything, who cares if it looks like and it appears to be, or is even a seed? Why does that make it? Rashi on the left-hand side helps us a bit with this. It says, you cannot and will not argue that the middle of these three pieces of the rehaim shel pilpelin will be mekabel tumah because of keli'et, de'en kibula kibu, because it's not actually, it has no receptacle area. It's not accepting and receiving and collecting any of the pieces. So why is it tameh? Rather, ela hachamim gazru ala kevara. Rather, this is a gezerah of the hachamim, a general gezerah of the hachamim. Anytime you're dealing with a kivara, anytime you're dealing with a sieve-like instrument, which is looking, which has, you know, like a netting on it, it's going to be tameh. Why is it tameh? Mishum arug. It's a gezerah mishum arug. 
So I bring you to another domain of tumantara. That's clothing, woven items or sewed items. They're mekabel tuma. You know, there's no kibul in such a circumstance. That's mekabel tuma. As a result, look at a sieve. Look at something that has a net-like type of structure, and you'll realize it looks a lot and appears a lot like something that's woven. In turn, the hakamim made a gezerah. The gezerah of the hachamim is any sieve-like item, any netting-like item, which is a utensil, is considered a utensil, and that's the reason that this middle section of the rechaim shel pilpilin, even though it's made out of wood, it's not made out of metal, in such a circumstance, mekabel tumah says, Sure. I mean, in terms of, in, uh, you'll have, um, just the easiest is if you have a safek tumah. What's the halacha going to be? It's only, it's only tamemi drabbanan. Are there other uh, uh, that come to mind? Not that come to mind, there have to be other ramifications as well, but that's the most simple of them. It's a downgraded level. It's an only an isur drabbanan. So again, tana, tahtona, the bottom of these three parts is mishum keli kibul. Emsa'it, the middle, mishum keli kibara. Eliona, the topmost section of the Rehaim Shilpil Pelin, Mishum Kelimatechet. The top part is because it's a metal utensil, but the top part is not actually, generally speaking, apparently, made out of metal. So then why does the Beraita say, say it's made out of metal? Rashi, Ve'Eliona, <coughs> the top part, Shemakateshim, wherein you're actually crushing. Veshohakin bahapalpelin, it's the area where you're actually crushing the peppers. Temea mishum kelim matachot, de mishum keli aets leka letamuye de pshutehen tehorin. First and foremost, explains Rashi, of course, as we now already know, if it's made out of wood and it doesn't have a bit kibul, if it doesn't have a receptacle area, it's going to be tahor. So then why are we considering this matechet? Uh, why is it considered uh, metal? Is there any metal on this? Explains Rashi, it's plated, it's mitzupeh, it's covered with a metal uh, exterior. And as a result, this top area where you're actually grinding, you're actually crushing, since it has a coating, it has a plating made out of metal, that becomes the ikar, explains Rashi, that becomes the primary uh, focus and function of this utensil. It's considered a kelimatech. Everybody's going to agree with that. Rashi is articulating that for us, but absolutely. In other words, if I have a kili'ayat, which just has a little bit of matechet in it, it doesn't get the status of matechet, it's still a kili'ayat. Now, Tosafot disagrees with the middle part of Rashi's interpretation. If you recall, the middle part was, that middle section was mishum keli It's because it's a sieve-like instrument. And Rashi explained it's a gezerah, it's an enactment, a restriction of the rabbis, mishum arug, because you might mistaken it with, or you might uh, fall prey to uh, a woven or a, uh, item or a, a clothing uh, piece, which of course is mekabel tumas. So Tosafot on the right-hand side, four lines from the top, say piresh rashi, af al gav when we're talking about the middle section, the emsa'it, ve'en labet kibul, and it doesn't have a receptacle area, she'en nish'ar kelal, nothing's left 
in that area when you're using it as a mill st- as a mill for pepper it goes straight down and get collects in the bottom section it does not seem correct this gizera which rashi uh, mentioned and says Tosafot, it's a fabricated gezera. De lo shayach arug b'maaseh shel shel etz ki im besemer upishtim. Argues Tosafot, it's true. Sieve-like instruments might be asur even midrabanan when it's not clothing, but that's only if it's made out of the same fabric. It's the same material as something you would weave with. You don't weave with wood at least not generally, and as a result, says Tosafot, the Gezerah of the Hachamim would not extend to something made out of wood. It would only extend to something made out of semer or pishtim, something made out of wool or linen, and therefore, says Tosafot, we can't accept his interpretation to why the emsa'it, mishum kili kevara, is asur. What, what does that mean? Instead, suggests Tosafot, v'nir'ah lefaresh bekevara shel siltot, deka'amar biyirushalmi kevarot shel siltot teme'ah, משום שיש עליה תורת קלי שמקבלת הסובין שאינן יכולים לעשות דרך נקבים. Suggest Tosafot, we're not talking in this Beraita, if I'm reading Tosafot properly, we're not talking in this Beraita actually about the exact same case we refer to in the Mishnah. Mishnah talked about a pepper mill. The Beraita says Tana. We assumed it's a Beraita which is elaborating, elucidating our Mishnah. It's not so. It does explain our Mishnah, but it's not the exact same case. How so? It explains Tosafot. What our Beraita is talking about is a, a keli which is creating solid. Solid is like a fine flour type of item. And it has, as a result, in it subin. It has the more coarse part of whatever you're, you're using it to mill with. And as a result, suggests Tosafot, quoting from Talmud Yerushalmi, in the structure of that utensil, the middle section will keep the subin. You see, when it comes to pepper, my, if my understanding is correct, everything, ultimately speaking, is going down. It's just being refined. It's just being made into smaller pieces, which in turn is going to bring out the, the taste, and it's going to be easier to sprinkle on your food and so forth. When you're dealing with solid, when you you're dealing with flour, it's not the same thing. Flour, the coarse, the harder, more dense part of what you're grinding is going to be left separate. You don't want that to be a part of it. You're, so to speak, going to go through a funnel in order to get that part out. Where is that stuff getting stuck? That's in the middle section. So suggest Tosafot. The middle section is Tameh because it does have a, keli ki, a bit kibul. The middle section has a receptacle area. This we're talking about if all pieces are connected together. Yes. You're asking uh, Rashi and Tosafot by extension say, well, what's the nafkamina? It's if you separated them. It's that you sep- it has to be that you separated them and you could use them in some way independently. So if you, if you separated them, for example, the top part, No, the top section is Tameh. In turn, the whole item is Tameh. Absolutely. In other words, if any of these, one of these three is in another item, it's certainly the whole item is Tameh, provided it's working the same way. So then why do you need to tell me in this item, that's the Hidush. That's the Hidush, breaking it down by Yeah, piece by piece. Each piece independently is Tameh, and as a result, as you're pointing out, Charles, if it's on its own, uh, part of something greater, or literally on its own, it's Tameh as well, and Tameh, the whole item. That's what Tosafot suggests. Tosafot says, if that's the case, why didn't the Gemara say that? Why didn't the Gemara say it? Because it has a bet kibul. 
Why did the Gemara say? Because it's like a, 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 a keli kevara. That's what Tosafot asks about themselves. Again, according to Tosafot, we're dealing with a keli, a utensil, which is making solid, which is making the more fine flour. As says Tosafot in the concluding lines, Vehadika Amar, and why does it say in our Beraita, cited in the Gemara, Mishum keli kevara? According to their interpretation, there is a receptacle. Uh, so that should be the reason why it's Tamehachekamar. It's because it's like, the Gemara likens it to a sieve like instrument. In other words, we're not actually saying it's because it's like something that's woven, we're saying it's an actual utensil which accepts. That's not really accepting. A kibul, you and I might say, what's a bit kibul? You say something that's receiving because you're purposefully receiving it. I put out my utensil and say, could you please put something in this? I'm putting it in in order to transport. I'm putting it in to collect. Over here, what are you collecting in this item? The coarse, the harder, denser parts of the flower? I don't really want that. That's not really a bit kibul. That's not really something that's receptacle. Says Tosafot, even that is considered a receptacle. What's the proof? That's the ma- that's the ma- that's the ma- it turns out is a receptacle at all. It's machloket whether this you know your your question from earlier according to Tosafot it's all assumed the oraita according to Rashi it's only midrabbanan. It's not a gezerah. It's assuming haTorah according to Tosafot to understand. What's the difficulty with Tosafot? At least if I'm understanding it correctly, is that the beraita so to speak isn't directly speaking to the Mishnah. It is breaking down three parts. But it's not exactly the same right. case, and nobody mentioned that explicitly. All right, says the next Mishnah. The next Mishnah will begin by initially talking still about Tuman Ta'ara very briefly, and then we'll quickly, uh, in the same case, segue us into a conversation with regards to Shabbat and Yom Tov. Agala Shil Katan, if you're dealing with a wagon or a carriage of some sort of a child, uh, which is used, Rashi explains, to play with or to sit on. Uh, what's the halakha with regards to Tum'ah first? Teme'ah midras. Uh, what's midras? Well, midras, not midrash, but midras is a Tum'ah which a zav, a person who has a discharge of one sort or another, whom the Torah describes at great length, uh, can impart. Now, it's not imparted per se. Midras is a particular type. You see, the zav can impart, without getting into all the details, can impart Tum'ah through sitting or lying or leaning, I think the translation probably is treading or something of that sort. That's what midras is when we refer to it in this context. Now, it's only going to impart that tum'ah on a keli, on an item, that it's normal to be sat on, leaned on, or lied on. If it's something altogether different, if it's on a table of some sort, made out of the right fabric or whatever, it won't give uh, tum'at midras. This is a very, it's a very unique and particular aspect of zav. It's called tum'at midras, and it imparts its tum'at in such a fashion. But the critical part for our purposes is it only does it on a keli, on an item that is miyuhad, that is particular and specific for midras, for sitting, lying, and all that sort of stuff. Is a wagon, in turn, the question to a certain extent, miuhad for sitting? So Rashi says, absolutely. That's how Rashi explains this. Rashi, teme'a midrash on the left hand side, im zav. 
if the child is this tumah zav, he has some discharge, he has some uh, uh, emission, the carriage, the uh, wagon will become av That's the status of, uh, of midras of zav. It's an it's a anomaly. We don't generally assume that you're going to have an avhatumah, which comes from anything other than the dead body. Over here, you have something called avhatumah, which in turn can impart tumah to human beings, not only to food and drinks. But okay. Anyway, what's the, what's the reasoning? Because it is specific for sitting on. After all, the child leans on it. You see, it's, it's normal and it's set apart and, so to speak, uh, purposed for sitting on it. She goes on to cite the halacha. If it's not miyuhad, if it's not particular and specific for this, then it wouldn't be mikabil tumah. Tosafot on the right-hand side disputes Rashi in terms of the reality. Agalashil Katan writes Tosafot, Piresha Kuntres, Kuntres is Rashi, known as the notebook, that's how he used to accompany the Gemara, not be on the page. Shehakatan Yoshev Betocha, the circumstances, this wagon, the child sits in. Vila Nehira, says Tosafot, it's not clear, it's not, it's not right in our eyes. Demaika Mashma'nan Peshita, Ha'en Lecha Kelim Yuhad Gadol Mizeh, says Tosafot, a carriage, a wagon of a child, what else is it purposed for? The child sits in it. I mean, you can't explain this any day. So the Mishnah Ki'ilu, it seems, is teaching me something I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known that a wagon and a carriage is something it sits in. Of course it's Mekabel Tumat Midras. It's no different than a bed or a chair. Answers to Safot instead, you misunderstood what Nagala is. Lekach Nirali, Dahainu Keli She'osin Liktanim, Lehitlamed Lahaloch. Says Tosafot, it's a walker for a child. They used to teach children to walk with some sort of three-wheeled utensil, which, I mean, you look at the walkers today, usually for elderly men and women, there's a place to sit on it and to lean on it. Now, its purpose, its express purpose is to walk with. But you could sit, could lean, you could use it as something that you're, you're doing, so to speak, midras, yeshiva on. As a result, that's the hidush suggests Tosafot. Even though it's not miyuhad, you'd assume not miyuhad per se for that. It is, um, it is a, an express purpose. No, no, no. Touching is not our issue. Midras. Yeah, yeah. Tumat midras. Zav has to sit on. Agalash katan says the Mishnah again, teme'a midras. And here's where we get into the Shabbat issues. Vinitelet beshabbat. And it furthermore is considered a keli. It's not going to be mukse on Shabbat. It has a Torah keli. It's considered a utensil. And when we discuss at one point in our limud, the, the ramifications and the parameters of, of mukse, we'll be able to flesh this out better. We've touched on it once or twice, but that's the halakha. The first opinion in the Mishnah says, and you can't drag it, this wagon, this carriage, unless you put uh, clothing, unless you put something underneath its wheels. What's the fear? Well, the Gemara will tell us the fear is hafira. Uh, you're going to be making furrows, uh, strong dents in the ground. That would be a melachan Shabbat. As a result, you have to cover the wheels or put underneath the wheels some sort of fabric. Rabbi Udaomer, kol ha-kelim en-nigrarin, chutz min ha-agala koveshet. Rabbi Uda disagrees and he says, listen, generally speaking, you can't um, be 
gorer. You can't be dragging something because it will make a haritz, it will do hafira to the ground. However, when it comes to a wagon, comes to a carriage, it's permitted because that's not making the ditch, that's not digging a hole, so to speak, it's instead pressing down. That's what the word kovesh, it means it's pressing, pressing is not the melacha, as opposed to unearthing, that's right, as opposed to turning up dirt, it pushes down dirt. Says the Gemara, let's deal with initially the Tuman Tahara, katan Amidras, explains the Gemara, because after all, people, children, do lean themselves on it, okay? Vinitelet b'Shabbat, what's the reason why it's carried on Shabbat. Mishum di'ika, ika means yesh, there is Torat keli ala. It has the status, it has the, the name and the, uh, uh, the uh, halachic uh, uh, characteristic known as keli, it's a utensil. Lastly, and this is what we'll focus on. What's that? Leaning, sitting, lying. All midras. Yeah. Says the Gemara, uh, lastly, what about um, Shabbat dragging it? Okay, now explains the Gemara. You're allowed to um, put uh, and drag it if you put underneath it a clothing, you put fabric. If you, if you dragged it directly on the ground, the first opinion in our Mishnah says it's Asur. Al-Gabe Karka. Karka means ground. What's the reason? The Ka'avid Haris. Because by so doing, you'll be making a Haris. Again, a Haris is a furrow of some sort. It's a Melacha known as Horesh. You're upturning, you're unearthing the ground. That's a Melacha on Shabbat. Says the Gemara Maneh. Who's the author of our Mishnah who would maintain that? The wagon, the stroller, the carriage is Asur if it's on dirt directly. Rabbi Yehudahi. It must be following the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Who's Rabbi Yehuda? We talked about him just now. Rabbi Yehuda's opinion is unintentional Melacha on Shabbat is also Asur. There's a mahlokat harishonim, whether it's asum midoraita or only midrabbanan. We assume only midrabbanan, but ultimately speaking, even though the Torah tells us in Parashat Vayakel that melachan Shabbat, much like the Mishkan, needs to be melechet mahashevet, purposeful, mindful activity, nonetheless, davar she'eno mitkaven, classic example is this. We're going to read it in a moment in the Gemara, dragging a bench, dragging a chair on dirt, not, no intention to make a hole, but inadvertently doing so, it's not that I didn't know the law, it's not that I didn't mean to do the action, that would be shogig. I meant to do the action, the outcome of the action, the fact that it makes the furrow in the ground is what I had no intention to do, didn't realize it was going to happen. Uh, in such a circumstance, davar she'eno mitkaven says Rabbi Yudai Zasur, now must be following his opinion. After all, as you're pulling the, the wagon, as you're pulling the carriage or pushing it, you have no intention of making a hole in the ground. Nonetheless, as Rabbi Yehuda davar she'en omitkaven asur, di'ir bishim'on ha'amad davar she'en mitkaven mutar. Ditanya, after all, we have a beraita which teaches us their two opinions. Rabbi Shimon omer, gorer adamita kise v'safsal. Rabbi Shimon's opinion is both on Shabbat and of course on Yom Tov, a person can drag a bed, a chair, or a bench, ubilvat 
The most important part is that your intention is not to make the pharaoh. And as a result, according to the Bishimon, our Mishnah with the Agala Shel Katan, Shel Ketanim, would pose no such issue. We have no problem of Haritz because Davar Sheinom Mitkaven. Wait a second, it's Melechet Harisha. Look at the ground afterwards. Davar Sheinom Mitkaven. Says the Gemara, okay, maybe that's the Mahloket, but Ema Sefa. If you're arguing that our Mishnah is maintaining Isur, prohibition, restriction, uh, only because it follows the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda is the one who maintains Davashe Nomit Kaven is Asur. Did you read the end of the Mishnah? Ema Sefa, look at the end of our Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, En hakol nigrarim b'Shabbat, Chutz min ha'agalam, Pnei shei koveshin, Vesh koveshetin, Aval haritz lo avda. Wait a second, look at the end of the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah is permitting, he's saying it's mutar to carry, to push, to drag the agala, the wagon, on Shabbat. You just told me that our Mishnah, when it says that it's prohibited, that it's Asur, is following the opinion of Biuda. Right afterwards, you have the opinion of Biuda who says it's permitted. How do you maintain, how do you square those two opinions if they're both Rabbi Yehuda? Answers the Gemara, There are two opinions here recorded in the Mishnah, both following the principle of the law of Rabbi Yehuda. How so? Well, it goes like this. Rabbi Yehuda is the rabbi. Rabbi Yehuda teaches davar she'enom mitkaven is asur on Shabbat. All right, that means to say if I have an unintentional ditch on Shabbat, asur. Now the question is, with regards to this carriage, this wagon, is it making a ditch or not? Oh, so the first opinion says yes. And as a result of making a ditch, even though it's unintentional, even though it's asur. The second opinion of Mishnah is Rabbi Uda's logic as well. However, the argument is that's not a ditch, that's pressing down. That's not unearthing. Ultimately speaking, it means that they both maintain that davar she'enomit kaven as asur. The question is whether you're doing melechet harishah to begin with over here. Rashi articulates it a bit more. Rashi says the question really is between these two opinions, what happens when you have wheels on ground on Shabbat or at any other time? Are the wheels, generally speaking, they will just be pushing down on the ground. Sometimes the wheel will turn. Sometimes the wheel will get stuck in the ground. How often is it that the wheel will get stuck in the ground or turn and, inter- and as a result unearth the ground? That's the debate over here. The debate in our Mishnah says, Rashi, is how often that will take place. That's a very interesting thing to consider because what we're effectively then discussing is levels in how unintentional, how far from realizing what was going to happen are you in such a circumstance? So is that the mahloket? We don't have any quantified numbers and description statistics over here, but that's how Rashi is interpreting our Gemara. The truth is in Hilchot Shabbat, there is an opinion known as the Rokeach's opinion. A very important Bet Yosef, Magen Abraham, later cites his opinion, although it's not brought in Shulchan Aruch, and that is that in the situation that we just quote in our Gemara, where you're dragging the bed, where you're dragging the chair, where you're dragging the bench, what if it's kaved me'od? Again, hard to define those words, but it means very heavy. Not a regular chair, bench, or bed. It's a very heavy one. Says Rokeach, in such a circumstance, even Rabbi Shimon maintains it's asur. Uh, but I thought that's exactly the mahluk. Yeah, that's if it's a normal bench chair or uh, if, it's, if it's really heavy, you draw the line. Are we posek lahalacha? How do you define it? We're not posek. Hanaruch doesn't bring it, but it's always entered into these sorts of conversations. Hacham Ovadia Yosef addresses this issue, this Gemara and this Mishnah, in the context of, among other things, bicycles on Shabbat. 
He quotes from Sheilot Teshubot of Rabbi Azriel of Hildesheimer. He talked about bicycles, and he was also not on the grounds of mind fix, not on the grounds of the whole of weekday activity, or any of that sort of business. He maintains, and Hacham Vadya quotes it here in Hazon Vadya Chalik Dalid on page Membet and Mem He maintains the reason that bicycles perhaps should be prohibited on Shabbat is when it goes on dirt, it will be making harit. Uh, it'll be creating a harisha. Uh, you'll be uh, you'll be violating in such a circumstance the melacha on Shabbat of melechet choresh. Wait a second, it's davar she'enom mitkaven, says uh, Rabbi Azriel Hildesheimer. He says, but it's certainly going to take place. Wait a second, uh, do we really go like that opinion who says if it's a heavy item, it makes a difference? Rabbi Azriel Hildesheimer is accepting that. Hacham Vadya Yosef objects to this, however. He objects because he writes, I'm going to read to you from the bottom of the page, uh, based on the, the rubber which is covering uh, the wheels uh, at the bottom. He says in bicycles, it's similar to that which it says. Our Gemara, our Mishnah here on Kaf Gimal Mbetza, Sheba'agala shel katan mutar afler biuda mipeneshi hi koveshet. He says it's permitted even according to biuda because it's pushing down. Katav mi'iri sham, he explains this based on mi'iri. So as a result, says Chamvadeh Yosef, from this angle, he has a longer conversation, not for right now, but he says for the issue of harisha, of making a ditch in the ground, he says you're not going to apply that with regards to bicycles. I'll just conclude, uh, aside from bicycles, aside from, from strollers per se, you see what the Gemara does touch on without saying it explicitly but Rashi kind of hinted it to us is uh, in, the, in the book Minhat Shilomo that's Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arba in his commentary to Masechet Beza over here he points out that the Gemara might be hinting at a larger and longer conversation and that is very briefly in a one minute summary of, of the issue uh, it goes like this um, when it comes to again Shabbat we are posek lahalacha davar she'enom mitkaven is mutah if you did something unintentionally it's permitted alright that, that much we understand if it's certainly going to take place, it's prohibited What if you're uncertain based on the circumstances? You can't and didn't determine what the reality is right now. And you did it and it, and it happened. It's called You were missing details and information. It was certainly you just didn't know that and perhaps couldn't have known that. So what are the classic examples at the, at the beginning of Hilchot Basabe Halav Ramar Bimoshe Islis quotes from Hagahot Sha'are Dura uh, the following circumstance what if you're using a non-Jew uh, what if a non-Jew used your utensil you're using the utensil and you want to make something parv in it you want to make something parv in it but you don't know that there's Basabe Halav Mivla already swallowed up in that utensil uh, okay so I didn't know what's that I'm not kidding. All important details. But Rabbi Akiva Eger says the, the very principle of the matter, let's say it's within 24, all that sort of business, the very principle of the matter is assuming that alternatively, you have Taz in Siman Shin Tetzai Novora Hayim, who talks about the following situation you're not allowed to do Melechet Seda on Shabbat, you're not allowed to trap animals on Shabbat, even insects in some circumstances. What if you're closing a chest and you don't know if there were flies or bugs in it? And you find out afterwards, that did you violate in such a It might be, says Rabbi Arbach, an issue in our Gemara as well. After all, the final line in our Gemara might be that it's a mahlokin about What's the mahlokin between Biudan and Chachamim if not that issue? Again, everybody agrees, according to our Gemara, that if you're pushing down, it's not Halisha. 
So then what are they disputing? Everybody agrees. So then what's the mahlokit about? Said Rashi, the mahlokit is about how the wheels will operate. Everybody knows the details of the wheels. Uh, maybe that's the question. The question isn't so much how to define what the wheels are doing, but how to define what's Asur. If I don't know in this moment what it's going to do based on the circumstances, is that going to be considered Pesik Resher or not? Baruch Adonai le'olam amen ve'amen hadran alach yom tov. We'll continue tomorrow in, in Allenhurst with the next Perik, with the third Perik. We'll do it on Zoom as well, of course. Baruch Adonai le'olam amen ve'amen ve'chanam u'shamara sa'kadosh baruch